Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for hardcore church planting. And uh, as always, uh, Peyton, introduce our guest for this week's topic. All right. Well, hey, you know, our guest is an old friend of mine. His name is Adam Statmiller, and uh, he is the author of the book, Praying for Your Elephant. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, it's really good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me back. Hey, no problem. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, I keep hearing about this whole prayer thing and, uh, it's kind of a big deal in the Bible. It's, 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 it's important, right? Well, so I've heard, but but it's only important if you want an elephant. That's what I've been told. Absolutely. Right. Well, Hey, uh, Pete's got some questions for you and, uh, I might have a few to throw in today. So, uh, let's go ahead and get started, man. We want to hear what you have to say about prayer. Well, let's go. One of the things, Adam, that we always like to do is even though we've had you on, uh, the church planner podcast This is our first time having you on hardcore church planning. And we always have new listeners coming on. So we always like to start out with, uh, you know, asking our guests if they can tell us a little bit about their testimonial, um, how they came to faith, and uh, and then we'll kind of go and, and leapfrog off of that into our, our topic. Right. So I think I have the story of a lot of people. I um, grew up Catholic, and then around 12 years old, uh, my parents separated. That's about 50% of our population. Mom ended up at a Protestant church uh, with a traveling evangelist coming through by the name of John Maxwell. You've probably heard of him. He's got his own section at Barnes & Noble. And... Um, he, uh, I went to church that night, and with my mom, she had a Sunday uh, night service, and the guy did an altar call, and my brother went forward, who was a high school student, and I was about 12 years old at the time. I just thought, I'll just follow my brother up. The odd thing is, is I went up, and, and, and Maxwell, he's like 31 years old at the time, thick accent. Uh, he's kind of gotten rid of that these days. Came, He says, you know, boy, do you want to accept Christ? Boy, 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 do you want to accept Christ? <laughs> And I was, you know, I thought I was like talking to Danny Glover or something, you know what I mean, <laughs> from places in the heart. He grabs my hand and led me to Christ. And, and the weirdest thing is it actually it stuck, um, even though I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. And Jesus became so real to me. Uh, I love the fact that they gave me donuts in the morning. That's one thing I wasn't getting at that Catholic church. Uh, immediately got in the junior high group. Uh, and then my mom started going to this uh, Bible study on uh, the book of John make a long story short, I don't know why, but I asked her if I could go to, it was all adults. And I got in there and Jesus just became so real as this like, you know, 50 year old man was talking about the gospel of John. I just remember as a 12 year old, I'll never forget that feeling. And I just remember Jesus just becoming so real. The pages became alive. The Mm -hmm. narrative became alive. Um, you know, did about a year of that until I got into junior high, high school. And then the divorce and all the craziness kind of caught up with me emotionally. had about four or five years of trying to destroy my life, uh, had a heart attack. Uh, and at some point I, uh, rededicated my life to Christ after ending up in a gutter in Mexico. That's kind of the short version. It's in the book, Praying for Your Elephant. 
uh, ended up Point Loma Nazarene, and then God just became, uh, began to work on those early seeds. I got sober. I got 26 years sober this week, and uh, yeah, man, went into ministry, and that's kind of the short version, but Jesus has just been radical and real. So hmm. that's 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 my uh, my quick version. That's cool, man. And you know, you're you're an amazing guy to watch in ministry. I've been at your church down in La Jolla, and uh, you are very much. When I look at you, um, I see a guy. You're kind of like one of those guys that you know. You're what I would call a prophetic leader. Not like you're up there in 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 a long beard and an old man robe, and you know you're thus right. saith the Lord and throwing rock tablets at people, but. Logan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you very much believe in the presence and power of God. And it's obvious when you're ministering to your people. And I just for 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 sake of, uh, you know, illustration here of what I'm talking about. I mean, you, you know, your, your church service is a great church service. But then what I love is when you walk out the door, you walk from the front of the church. You're the first guy I've ever seen do this. You walk from the front of the church towards the back. And as we're watching out, you pray for people on your way out, Lord. And you're you're walking down the aisle, and you're like, Lord, and I pray for so and so over there, the family, and boom. And you might bust out a, a a little, you know, burden on your heart. What 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 some people might call a a little prophecy. You're not weird about it, but I mean, it's very down to earth. But but it's powerful, man. I've never seen that ever happen. And so prayer is obviously close to your heart. Um, why praying for your elephants? Why this book? Why this book? Well, the, I mean, you kind of captured my heart uh, on that first thing you were saying. Let me let me um, go back to that. When I got into a, a church, one of my mentor pastors, when I was 19, his name was Jimmy Johnson. We'd known him for years. He passed away of cancer. But he was the guy, I got to say, I stole that from him. He would walk down the aisle and he would just uh, begin to pray for people as he did and pray for the church and bless the church. We live in such a, a, a need for blessing. We live in a curse-filled society. Uh, I mean, if you if one thing you can do is if every Sunday for for church planners, if your people can walk away feeling blessed, mm -hmm. I would say that is that is so important. And so, it's just natural for me to want to connect with people. It, it, the weird thing is, is I've been walking down the aisle. But when I first started doing that, when I got to this church, and I, and I literally stole this from Jimmy. Um, people would reach out and grab my hand like I was the Pope. Like it was really weird. Like you know, I felt like they were going to kiss the signet ring. But there's you are you are kind of tall. I mean, you don't you don't need the big tall hat. I mean, you you are that tall. No, and I, I wish I was cool enough to remember the name of the hat right now. Uh, <laughs> it would maybe <laughs> historical. But um, you know, I think in regard to prayer and tying this into the praying for your elephant, which is a you know a, a, another part of the story, is people want to be blessed and 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 praying blessing on your congregation every week is a form of prayer, and it actually believing that it does something in the heavens. I mean, we have to believe that when we pray, we are boldly going before the, the throne of God, like it says in Hebrews, and we're, we're actually releasing things from the spirit realm into the terra firma of our lives. And mm -hmm. that, you know, we, I think when we bless our congregations, when we pray for our congregations, we, in, in, in a public place, because the people, they do what you model. Whatever you model, they're going to follow that. And so if you can create a culture of blessing, what you're doing is you're creating a crossroads in your church where the kingdom of heaven meets earth. And so, yeah, I, you talk about a little bit prophetic. I don't, I, you know, I don't believe in any new big P prophecy. Like, I'm not going to be saying, hey, Jesus is going to come from the West instead of the East, you know, uh, kind of like, yeah. you know, uh, changing big P prophecy. But I do believe that God gives us 
prophetic understanding of uh, or thoughts of what might happen in someone's life. And you always got to be careful with that when you're praying for people in public. Yeah. But just saying, hey, bless these people's marriage and, and things like that. So I try to speak what God lays on my heart. I like the word you use, burden. I do get a burden to say something. And I guess that's a lot less of a scary word than like a prophetic word, but I do get a bird. Yeah. I, and it very much comes across. This is what I love about it. It's not weird. You, you, uh, when I came yeah, to church I and I watched, I, weird. I go, this is awesome because there's that sense of it that you're walking down, you're praying for people. You would have specific burdens. Like you'd say, Lord, be with that family right now. You know, they're going through this. Um, you know, boom, boom, boom. And you would pray. And when, when I say prophecy, it's interesting because the Puritans use that term for preaching because they believe that every time you exposit and preach the scriptures, the spirit would be there present to speak directly to people's hearts. I think preachers need to remember that we live in an age where people want to wow others with sermons. And that's not what it is. You miss out on the richness of the fact that the spirit says, Hey, I already spoke this. If right. you wait on me and you preach it right, I will speak through it more powerfully again. And it's what it's what the Puritans would call the anointing. But when you're going down doing that, you know, w- what was interesting to me was God's heart was very obvious. God's heart. And 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 so for me, when I hear of the word uh, you know, prophecy or whatever, it's God's heart that's communicated more than anything. Right. And so even those people that were just sitting there. Just hearing someone pray for them, or you mentioned blessing, which is always God's heart for us, right? Ephesians blessed us with every spiritual blessing. At any time, Paul could, could, every epistle starts with a blessing where Paul goes, grace to you and peace. We've lost that in our culture, but that wherever you're at, at any time right now, that God's heart for you is grace for you and peace be upon you. Shalom, peace be upon you. That that concept of blessing was a, a New Testament and Old Testament concept where it was communicating God's heart. And I see that as you're doing it, just to flesh it out, because I kind of dropped you in it with that. But it's beautiful, man. So, so no, that, yeah. that Ephesians piece, and, and I know we're not going the direction and we're not promoting my book, but I don't really care. Um, I want to see your church planners create cultures of, <laughs> of, of, of prayer in their churches. And that Ephesians piece that you just mentioned, it says that you will be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And what we have to believe as church planners, as, as church renewalists, because, you know, um, I believe that um, the renewal work is, is a form of church planning. It's just I'm working with old, you know, older congregations that are, you know, trying to revive them, is that, you know, when, as you pray, believing that every spiritual blessing, hope, peace, Joy. I mean, those are things that this terminally ill society needs. When we pray um, and bless people, that you are actually believe that you are harvesting from heaven these actual things and releasing them on to your people and into their lives. And if there's one word I have for your, you know, your church planners, and a lot of them are young, is you know, a, a, a culture of prayer in your church is is not gonna is not gonna happen on its own. It has to be fought for, and it starts with you. Um, if, if you're not a person of prayer, and this isn't to put guilt on you, because I know the secret, if I, I, you know, I think I found the secret key of praying. Um, and this, and the, and the secret key of prayer is this, it's praying. <laughs> it's just showing up and praying. And I want to, to, to encourage your, your, your uh, church planners, be a person of prayer, but pray whatever way makes sense to you. 
Um, pray in the way where you feel like you're connecting with God, and it's got to start with the leader's heart. And if you're not a person of prayer, whatever that means for you, it's going to be impossible to build a culture of prayer into the movement, organization, church plant that you lead. And so, um, yeah, I think that's super important. Adam, let's actually get back to your your book, Praying for Your Elephant. Why don't you tell us why you wrote that book and and maybe even why uh, that title? Because it's such a unique and uh, you know kind of stand out there title. Well, I didn't want to write the book. Um, I, I really wanted to write a book about um, finding your purpose in, in life and, and crossing your Jordan. The whole thing out the Book of Joshua. And as I was preparing it, um, I preached this sermon. Uh, it's kind of a, a you know, kind of a long st- story, which I won't bore you with, but uh, I got an opportunity to preach at our church, and I preached this one sermon on prayer, and I mentioned about a, uh, a funny prayer I had done uh, years ago with a friend. My first day on the job as a youth pastor, 1994, my friend and I prayed as a joke that an elephant would show up at our youth group, and, and we, had a, we said, we're going to meet every day for 60 days, starting on my first day on the job, he was like my, my, my newest leader, and we were going to pray every day. And we, we prayed for two days straight. I mean, that was it. That's as far as we made it into the 60s. Uh, and it's funny, because like most things in, in my, my spiritual life, the romantic idea of it is a lot stronger than actually showing up and doing it, whether it be evangelism, reading God's Word, prayer. But we made this joke. We said, hey, we pray, God, that an elephant would show up. Let's be crazy. You know, a 24-year-old's prayer. Four years later, uh, I'm at uh, in Thailand. I'm in a really desperate place in my life. Uh, I'm deciding if it's time to leave that group. The church had had a split. And at midnight, I hear this kid yell, there's an elephant in the courtyard. There's an elephant in the courtyard. And we run out, and, there's, and there was a guy with an elephant at midnight in this church courtyard. We have no idea why he was there. I hadn't thought about that prayer for four years. And I went out. And I'd never touched an elephant, and I put my hand out. It was moonlit. I'll never forget it. Sticky and hot Thailand, like it only gets, you know, in, in the tropics. And the, and the elephant puts its trunk up, and I grabbed it, you know, the, the, its nose, I guess, or its trunk, all wet. And right when I touched it, I felt this, this word from the Lord in my heart that said, there's your elephant. And I felt this presence of God that, that was so powerful that said so many things to me. One, it said, my time is finished. I, I All of a sudden, I remembered a prayer from four years earlier that I'd forgotten about as a joke. God said, hey, that prayer meant something to me. You started asking for an elephant. Your time here is finished. It represented God's complete, you know, putting the bow on four years of ministry. It, it, it represented how much he loves me, how elaborate God is, how extravagant God is. I mean, and the book, it's funny, it, it's, it's played out to where this one Foolish little prayer has become a prayer, become a prayer movement. It's become a book. It's changed my life. It's changed the lives of other people. If you go to Praying for Your Elephant on uh, Facebook, you'll see all these people's lives have changed. It has just blown my mind how God will take something, a little tiny prayer, and how he'll work things out to his own conclusion. So, uh, you know, to answer your question, I preached that story. As soon as I preached it, it had, it had traction. I saw that people wanted to know more about it. They wanted to pray. And uh, God kept on saying, hey, I want you to write that book instead. So I wrote a book about it uh, and about the relationship of knowing God and asking prayer. So long answer, but uh, that's what happened. Yeah, you know, and and so uh, people struggle a lot with prayer. Um, Why do you think people struggle with prayer so much? 
Well, I, I think there's a there's a lot of roadblocks to prayer. One is guilt. Uh, we tend to want to go, you know, do the Adam and Eve thing, go hide in the bushes when we feel far away from God and like we don't measure up. Uh, and so uh, guilt, shame uh, are, are things that become huge uh, roadblocks to our faith and kind of drive us into to like these waterless, dry um, pastures that uh, we're, you know, we, 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 we don't experience, uh, like I said earlier, the extravagance of God, the grace of God. Prayer is about relationship. I mean, if prayer is about one thing, it's about, it's about relationship. God does not need prayer. <laughs> okay. You never need to pray and God is still going to work out his purposes. Now I would, I would assert that those purposes will be worked out in a different manner if you pray. He will weave you into the to the narrative and the story in a different way because God has many ways to work out his conclusions. But prayer is about relationship. And, you know, ultimately, after the fall, we're afraid of God. I mean, that was the whole thing of Adam and Eve is, is like they were afraid of God. It put a barrier within the intimacy, within... You know, the, imagine a, a child, um, you know, when if they're afraid of their parent or if a child who has been beaten by their parents. Now, God didn't beat us, but but sin made it made it seem as if there was this this thing that needed to be feared as if like an abusive parent. And so even though that wasn't the case, Adam and Eve reacted that way. God created prayer as a bridge to rebuild that relationship, to talk to our father. And so I think it ultimately goes back to our feeling unwanted, unloved, unworthy, and that's all based in the root of sin and shame. And uh, God created prayer as a, uh, a way to, to bridge that gap again. Adam, tell everyone about this uh, the site that you were just mentioning a, a few seconds ago um, where people are sharing about their experiences. Um, you know, What are some of the breakthroughs that people are having with that, and uh, where, where can they find that? Well, uh, back when I got this idea of, um, you know, to kind of put this into a book form, one of the things I know as an author that the books that work best these days are books that are formed around communities. Uh, and and not, when, you, when you use the word book, uh, I'd rather use the message of what God wanted to say. It's easy to, to uh, compartmentalize books into like this Christian media thing that's just getting pumped out at bookstores for financial gain. I felt like God had a message that he wanted me to share, that God wanted me to present prayer in a way that leads people back to the Father's heart and to let them know that you can pray for anything you want uh, and and you don't need to be ashamed of it. Uh, you know, probably a dozen times, close to a dozen times in the New Testament, it says, pray for anything you want uh, and I will do it. And this isn't a prosperity gospel thing, but it is a gospel thing. <laughs> That's the weird thing is, is like, I, I didn't want to do this book because I didn't want to get lumped in with these guys. Like, hey, put your prayer quarter in and God's going to give you whatever you want. Um, but at the same time, I kept, you know, feeling, you know, that God was saying to my heart, are you willing to perhaps be misunderstood to do what I've asked you to do? And I've asked you, and I knew he was asking me to write a book about the magnificent desire of God to, uh, to grant his children's request. And so I wanted to get content for the message besides just my own story. We have a tendency as pastors and preachers to let everything be based around our story as opposed to the people that we live in the fabric of life with. 
And so I just created a little Facebook page called Praying for Your Elephant. It was a group page uh, because the um, you know there's different kinds you can create. And it just kind of took off. I mean, we've got, you know, it didn't take off in regards to like Billy Graham ministry, but we've got like seven, 800 people now that are a part of it. But every day there's like, you know, multiple posts. Uh, we have someone right now who had a heart transplant. Uh, you'll see it on there right now if they go to it, Clement, and people pray. And we get to know each other. And it's so funny because we start feeling like we know these people we've never met before. And it's gathered around a community uh, of prayer. And, I, and, you know, once again, another word to your church planners is create a community of prayer. Uh, I have one time a week where I have an hour-long prayer meeting. It's Tuesdays at noon where my entire congregation, whoever can make it, can show up. Make yourself available to pray on a regular basis, on a weekly basis with your people, because whatever you model is going to be trickled down into your um, into your congregation. So you can go see Praying for Your Elephant, just search for it on Facebook, and you'll see that community. Go to the group page, not the like fan page, and you'll just see a beautiful, uh, I would say a matrix of prayer that's happening uh, as people uh, care for each other. It's just beautiful to watch. Watching people pray for each other is is beautiful. Is beautiful. If you want to see beauty in your church, create a network of praying together. It's just fantastic. Yeah, and I I think that's important because people don't really see um, prayer in church. I've I, it's kind of been a, a pet peeve of mine for a while that the one place where you don't really get to go and seek God is actually at church. I don't know how unless you're Catholic, unless you're Catholic, and then exactly. they do a lot of praying at church. Yeah, you actually are there to seek God together. Um, now it seems like you go and, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know what, what's interesting is is what you're saying there, and I think the strength of like your Facebook group, praying for your elephant, um, is that it, you actually get to see other people interacting with prayer and praying together posting their prayer requests and then talking about the answers how god answered right. them. you know we right. we often just share the prayer request and never you know they they always call them praise reports which as a guy who was raised outside the church that's always seemed like the weirdest name for me you know right. and, and on on the planet but uh but anyways i love the rhythm i love the inhaling the exhaling rhythm of people tracking within one another, but also reporting. Can you give us some stories of, of not only people's answer prayers, but also how that was kind of a breakthrough for them that, wow, God really does listen to me. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's some, some pretty um, interesting, I've challenged people to put requests up that they might be embarrassed to put up. For instance, I had a friend that she's a single mom, has a daughter. They wanted she wanted to do a, you know, they have a lot of money and they don't have a lot of money. And she did kind of a once in a lifetime trip, which for her was taking her daughter to Florida for a week in Florida. And they were there and it rained the entire time. And I'm friends with her on Facebook. She's I'm so bummed. It was like, we have one more day left and there's more rain coming. And I said, why don't you put on the Facebook page that you're praying for the weather to get better and pray for sunny weather so you and your daughter can have a good time? She goes, no, I couldn't put that. I'm like, why not? Well, because it's like God wouldn't change the weather for me. And, and I know you're getting into some theological, you know, um, slippery slope here. But I said to her, I said, Julie, if there was a hurricane, would you not pray? Would we not pray for your safety? And you would immediately, well, of course I put that up. That's a hurricane because our lives are at, at stake. And I'm like, wait a second. God only cares if your lives are at stake, but he doesn't care about you having joy with your daughter on a beach. 
Like, I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. So she put it on the Facebook request. And this is like over a year ago. The next day, there's pictures. All of a sudden, there was it was bright, sunny, no rain. Her her daughter making a sandcastle on the beach. Now, do I know that God changed the weather? Absolutely not. Would I claim that God changed the weather? Probably not. But would I say that He didn't? Absolutely not. All I know is that we prayed, and and the weather was changed. And so, what I encourage people is not to go after the request, but to go after their father in prayer. So that's just one story. We've had people that have had job issues, divorces. Um, you know, they put some pretty intimate stuff on there. Uh, but you know, I've only had one request in a two years of doing this two and a half years that I've had to delete that I felt, well, that was a little bit over the edge. Um, but it's been fantastic to watch people go through life together. Here's the, here's why people struggle with prayer, especially in church, because Prayer is not momentary. It doesn't happen in the moment. Prayer seems to have to work itself out over days or weeks or months, and it means just continuing to show up in that relationship. And that's what the Praying for Elephant Facebook page does, is somebody goes, oh, this got answered. We celebrate that. Oh, I remember that request. That was a month ago. Um, you know, we're always looking for this momentary thing. And that's why you don't see prayer in church on Sunday morning, at least in Protestant church, because it's not entertaining. You can't do it in a moment unless, you know, we're asking someone to accept Christ in the moment or, you know, you, you, you're, you're praying to throw the crutches up the front with somebody who's been, uh, you know, you're praying for some healing. But, but prayer takes work and effort and, and patience. All right. Well, Pete always has a question he likes to ask at the end of the uh, podcast. So, Pete? <laughs> it's the question that everyone hangs around for. And thanks for that introduction, Peyton. I appreciate you're that. You're welcome. Glad you <laughs> needed it, buddy. I'm always happy to provide it. <laughs> So, uh, Adam, one of the questions we always like to end with at uh, Hardcore Church Planning is this. You know, just to, to tie off this, this great uh, discussion that we've had on prayer, if you were to get into a physical fist fight with John Maxwell, who would win? Oh, my goodness. A uh, physical fist. Is, are, are, we going, um, are we going like Muay Thai? Are we going to do some uh, UFC? Is it a cage match? Is there any... Any kind of uh, things I need to know? Because I need to put this up. Because there's certain things I think there's styles. He would do like the grasshopper style, I'm sure, because I've, I've watched him from afar, and I struggle with the grasshopper style. But if I go monkey style on him, I think I win it. I dig it. I think that's the answer right there that we're looking for. <laughs> monkey style, you got the win. No kidding. Monkey that's style, I got the win. I played a lot of Street Fighter as a kid um, with Ryu and Ken. Uh, so I, 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 I think I might have him. Dude, you definitely have him. You're, uh, especially with uh, the Street Fighter. He won't even see that coming. I don't. I don't think he's up on that. No, I got the Fireball too. Which, uh, like, when I was at a Pentecostal movement, I better stop there. But nonetheless, (laughs) (laughs) yes, we'll get the complaints. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, this has been Hardcore Church Planning with Adam Statmiller, author of Praying for Your Elephants, and uh, remember. If uh, you are church planting and you are not praying, you're not going hardcore enough. And with that, Arnold's going to sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.